for checking out the Hope Culture Church podcast. To learn more and to stay connected, visit www.hopeculturechurch.com or follow us on social media at Hope Culture Church. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning. My name is Dan. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Culture Church, and happy Palm Sunday. We are one week away from Easter. I love Easter. I can't wait to celebrate with you. I hope you'll invite your family and friends to join us online next week. The good news is we don't have to wait a week to celebrate Easter. We don't have to wait a week to celebrate who Jesus is. We get to do that daily and weekly. I'm so excited for the message that God has laid on my heart for this morning. One of the many things I love about our church is that we have people who've been following Jesus for a long time, and we have people who've just started following him and everywhere in between. And no matter where you are on the spectrum, I believe today is going to speak to you um, because we always have a next step to take. So we're going to look at a familiar story. It may be familiar to you. It may be brand new, but it's the story of Jesus's triumphal entry when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And I hope you hear it in a fresh and new way. Let's pray together and jump in. God, I ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would have your way, that this story would come to life and you'd help us to become more who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Have you ever noticed that we respond differently depending on who we're talking to? That the person we're having a conversation with has an influence on the way that we're responding to them. You talk differently to your coworker than you do your spouse, or you talk differently to your mom than you do your professor. You talk differently to your best friend than you do the, the person at the cash register. Um, I don't know. Have you ever had that time where you're talking to someone, but you didn't really know who they were? Abigail and I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and while we were dating, um, we would usually go to church together. But there was one time I was away on a junior high retreat, and Abigail went to church without me with some of her friends, and it's the meet and greet time where you're supposed to turn and, and shake hands with somebody near you and, and get to know them and say hi and, and welcome and, and all that sort of thing. And Abigail um, has a guy turn around in the row in front of her, he says hi, shakes her hand, and that sort of thing, and, and she has no idea who he is. Meanwhile, across the auditorium on the other side, one of my friends is texting me and is like, Abigail just met Kyle Corver, the shooting guard for the Chicago Bulls. She just shook his hand. And I texted back. I was like, there's no way she knows who that is. She doesn't know who she just met. And sure enough, I talked to her later that afternoon, and she's like, no, I had no idea who he was. I noticed that he was really tall, but I had no idea who I was actually talking to. And it's not a big deal. We don't need to, to be starstruck or anything like that. The, back, the Bible actually talks a lot about showing favoritism. It's not something we're supposed to do. But there is the reality that depending on who we're talking to, depending on who that person is, it changes how we respond. And that's kind of the, the lens that I want us to see as we go through this text today. That as we look at the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, people begin to see him for who he really is. He's at the height of his ministry. He's entering the week of Passover. People know that he's the miracle worker. He speaks with authority. And they're starting to think that he's the Messiah. He's the promised king. So this changes their response. And that's really the lens I want us to see the scripture through today. So let's jump in to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them to go ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, 
As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one else has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. I love this. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. This is so good. Jesus turns to the disciples and asks them to get a donkey. Being that he's in perfect relationship with the Father, he knows exactly where it's going to be. He tells them, this is where you're going to go. This is what's going to happen. There's going to be a donkey tied right there. I need you to bring it to me. And if anyone says anything, if anybody has any questions about you randomly taking somebody's donkey, just say the Lord needs it. So this is what he says. This is what happens in verse 4. They do exactly that. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. They just go. No questions asked. So if you're brand new to learning about Jesus' 12 disciples, this is kind of a new thing. They always question. They always say why or how. Jesus, this is a lot. You know, there's all these people gathered here and you want us to feed them. We can't do that. Oftentimes they misunderstood him and questioned what he was talking about. But this time they just do it. They're essentially to go borrow a donkey from a stranger, and if they get questioned, they just say, the Lord needs it. But even with that, they don't question it or delay. They just go. At this point, they know Jesus well enough that they trust him. How many of us are willing to take God at his word, to trust him when it seems crazy or doesn't make sense, to really just trust blindly, to have faith, when we can't see what's next, that's what faith is a lot of time. It's, it's risky. It's a childlike faith, isn't it? It reminds me of Poema. Poema is our youngest. She's almost 21 months old, you know, right a year and three quarters. And she, she just loves and trusts me. Abigail and I joke that she maybe trusts us a little too much. She'll blindly and boldly jump off of things, assuming we're going to catch her, whether it's the couch or the table or a chair. She'll climb up and just jump off. So check out this video. Again. Ready? Three, two, one. <laughs> She does that all the time. She'll just, I'll just be sitting in the boys' room and she'll jump off their bed, belly flop, fully trusting that I'm going to catch her. And that's such a good picture of faith. Trust often involves risk. Faith involves risk. But it's an essential part of the Christian life. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We need to take him at his word, to trust him when we can't see how it's going to work out. We need to, to hear from him. We need to read his word and pray so that he kn- we know what he's saying. Because what he is saying to us, we just need to take his word for it. That he's for us, not against us. That he's loving, that he's kind, that he'll never leave you or forsake you. Let's be like the disciples at this point, where we know him well enough to take him at his word. It gets easier over time. The more he's proved himself to us, the easier it is to do what he's asking. The more we surround ourselves with people who are walking by faith, it gets easier. So our first response to seeing Jesus for who he is, is trust, to trust him. Our second response is obedience. Trust in our heart should lead to obedience with our hands. Inward trust must learn, turn into outward obedience. Faith leads to obedience. Romans 1.5 says this, Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. 
This is Paul talking. And Paul's saying he's an apostle, he's been called, and his calling is to help people obey, and that obedience comes from faith. That obedience produces blessing. Luke eleven twenty eight says this. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And this is Jesus talking. A woman is saying, your mom must be blessed. Mary must be blessed because of who you are. You're such a good teacher. All these things. And Jesus says, no, actually, who's really blessed is the person who hears the word of God and obeys it. See, trust leads to obedience and obedience leads to blessing. Obedience can look like a lot of things. Sometimes when we think about doing what God asks of us, we can get intimidated or scared. But most of the time, God asks you to use what he has already given to you. He asks you just to have open hands with the blessings that he's already entrusted you with. If we pick up back in verse 4, the two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied up outside the front door. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying the colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. This is crazy if you think about this happening. It's a natural question. What are you doing? You're taking somebody else's coat, colt. You're untying someone else's donkey. But then they just simply said, the Lord needs it. And then they let them take it. And I love this because Jesus always gives us the ability to do what he's asking us to do. He knew that they were going to be okay with it. He knew that they were going to let them walk away with the donkey. And the disciples trusted him. They knew that he was good to do the thing he was asking them to do. They knew that their ability wasn't the ability it rested on. What is the thing that is in your hand already? What's the thing that God's already entrusted you with? Because you're uniquely gifted. You're created. You're blessed to be a blessing, to offer what you have back to God. In Exodus chapter 4, we read that Moses is arguing with God about how he is going to free God's people. How am I going to do what you're asking me, God? I'm just, I have a speech impediment. I'm not qualified. I don't know what to do. And God asks him this question What is in your hand? And Moses says, A rod, or another translation says, A staff. And God explains that he's going to use that staff with Moses to set his people free, that through that staff, he's going to perform miracles, that he's going to part the Red Sea, that he's going to turn it into a snake, that he's going to do all of these different things. God is going to use what's in Moses's hand. And I think God is asking us the same question. What is in your hand? What has God given you that's unique to you? It doesn't matter if you think it's special, if it's what you expected that you were going to need to do what God's asking you to do. He's just asking, are you available? Will you let me use the things I've given you? And Abigail and I have lived this cycle many times. Hope Culture Church is a result of this cycle. God spoke to us and called us to plant this church. We didn't know what that was going to look like. We, we said yes and trusted him before we saw all the details. We didn't know everything that was going to come as a result of that. That trust led to obedience. When we felt the time was right, we left our other ministry position, had no income or anything like that. That was us taking the donkey. And what are people going to say when we're doing this? And I don't know how this is going to go. This is going to turn out, but we're trusting what God said. We don't have a lot of money. We don't have the right connections. We don't have the right skills and all of these things that come to mind. But we knew this is what God was asking us for. 
we felt like he was asking that question. Will you use what is in your hand? Will you, will you trust me with your faith and gifts and time and lives? And so everything we have is his. And we said, yes. So what is in your hand? What are the things that God is asking you to let him use? Let's keep reading this story. Verse 7. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it. Again, using what was in their hands. He sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. As an act of worship, everyone offered what they had. The donkey owner offered his donkey. The disciples offered their coat. The crowd offered their coats on the ground and waved palm branches that they cut from the field. All of us can participate in worship by offering what we have as a gift to God. He's worthy of it. When we see him as he is, it's easy to respond with trust. When we see him when he, who, for who he is, we can obey. We can have open hands and worship. I love that Jesus entered on a donkey. This is the fulfillment of a prophecy. You can check that out for yourself. If you read in the other gospels, it even references those prophecies that there was gonna be the Messiah who came in riding on a donkey. But I also love that it shows Jesus's humility. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the Son of God, the great I am, all of these things. And yet he didn't come with trumpets, and horses demanding people bow down to him, but he came on a donkey in the coats of the crowd. He was a leader and yet a servant. He was a king, but humble. The people felt they could relate to him. Those who were humble saw him for who he was. The self-righteous, the Pharisees, were the ones who missed it. Jesus taught, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. When we realize our own spiritual dependency, how spiritually we're bankrupt before God, we don't have anything to offer on our own, that's when we're blessed. When we see Jesus for who he is, as the King of kings, Lord of lords, we just get to see him and worship him. He, he came humbly, and that humility wasn't a weakness. We have a high priest who can relate to us in every way. Let's check out verse 9. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They just responded with worship and adoration. They said blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor, David. They saw him for who he was, that he was the Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecy. And they said, praise God in the highest heaven. They knew that he was coming in to usher the new kingdom. They didn't know what it would be like. They didn't know what it was going to look like. They didn't know that the cross was only a few days away. But they knew he was the Messiah. And that caused them to worship. And worship prepares the way of the Lord. I encourage you to worship in every season. The good, the bad, the hard seasons, the easy seasons. Worship invites the presence of God. It opens the door to blessing. It's the response to seeing Jesus for who he really is. There's no one like him. You can see that our response to him is determined by how we see him. And if we're like the Pharisees, if we think we got it all together, if we think we don't need him, if he's just a good teacher or if he's crazy or if he's a liar, then our hearts are hardened. 
But if we're humble and broken in spirit, if we're poor in spirit, we see him for who he really is, our savior and king. And when we see him that way, it leads to all those things we've been talking about. It leads to trust that can trust even when we don't see what's next. It leads to obedience, following through on the things that God is speaking to us. It leads to us having open hands and open hearts, saying, God, I'm yours. Whatever I have, you can have. And it leads us to worship. So are we more like the Pharisees? Are we more like the crowd? Do we see him for who he truly is? It leads to us changing our response. So what's next? What do we do? I think it, it's embracing these things. I'm going to trust, I'm going to obey, I'm going to have open hands, and I'm going to worship no matter my situation because I see Jesus for who he is. And maybe you've never responded to Jesus because of who he really is. Maybe you've never seen him as king in your life. And I want to encourage you that today is the day of salvation. All you need to do is acknowledge your brokenness that spiritually we're all poor in spirit, that we don't have what it takes to have right standing with God, acknowledging that. And then the second thing is believing that Jesus made a way when there was no way, that he died to take the punishment for our brokenness and our shortcomings and our sin and rose again on the third day so that we could have new life with him. When we do that, and then decide that we're going to do things his way now, that we're going to make him the Lord of our life, the King of Kings, the person who has the final say in my life and in your life, then we get a brand new, fresh start with God. I was just reading the other day in Luke that angels rejoice when people come to know him, that there's a party going on in heaven when you decide to give your life to Jesus and make him your king. And if you want to do that today, will you pray with me right now? God, we ask that you would forgive us of our sin, forgive us of our shortcomings. We realize we have not lived up to your standard, but we also realize that Jesus died to forgive us of those sins and he rose again so we could have new life. Would you forgive me? Would you make me brand new? Would you please fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live for you? I want to make you the leader of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And for all of us, no matter whether we just prayed that prayer for the first time or we've been following Jesus for a really long time, we still need to get a clearer picture of who he is. You guys have heard me talk about this a lot. We need to know God, find freedom, discover our purpose, and make a difference. And we need to keep going through that cycle. Seeing Jesus for who he is, is knowing God. We all can take a next step in following Jesus. We all can know God a little bit more. And as we see him more clearly, it changes how we respond to him. It helps us respond appropriately, that we can trust him because he's good and faithful and he he comes through on his promises that we can obey him because his ways are higher than our ways. We don't always know what's best and we trust that he does. That we can have open hands knowing that he can do far more with what we have than we can and that we can worship him. And worship invites his presence in our lives. What if we did this as a people? What if we truly saw him for who he was? That we decided... I'm not going to worry about doing things my way. I'm going to do things his way. 
What if as a church, as a community, we all started living that way? I think some major things would start to change in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our cities. And I would love nothing more than to see that. I think we'd see hope rise in a brand new way. I think we'd see people making decisions to follow Jesus and that the King of Kings would be lifted up. I want to encourage you during this holy week leading up to Easter to worship a little bit extra. Turn on a few more worship songs than you're used to. Follow our Spotify playlist. Crank up the radio, whatever you want to do. We're all stuck at home anyways. Let's spend some extra time worshiping because worship prepares the way of the Lord. It invites God's presence. And so we're actually going to sing one more song today. And it's about changing our focus. We're going to sing, God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Help me see things the way you do. So will you stand? I know you're at home. Maybe you've been sitting. Maybe you're still in your pajamas. But wherever you are, would you just stand with us as we sing this last song together?